Chapter 21 The light shimmered around Simon, blinding white light. As he thrust a sword into Lucy's good, she uttered a choked gasp of pain. The light grew even brighter. A small, round, dark spot formed in the center of the light. The spot grew, spreading its darkness. It took Simon a while to realize that the spot was blood, blood staining the front of the girl's dress. Darker, darker. The spot expanded until it blocked out the light. And as the darkness grew and the shimmering light faded, Simon's vision was restored. He could see clearly once again, still holding the long ebony handle of the sword, staring at the blood as it stained the dress, Simon could see, could see that he hadn't stabbed Lucy Good. He had thrust a sword deep into his own daughter's chest. Simon! Simon! Angelica's shrill cries repeated in his ears, shutting out all other sounds, shutting out his own horrified thoughts. Simon! 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 Then Hannah fell forward and slumped into her father's arms, as his sword clanged heavily to the floor. Warm blood poured over Simon's evening shirt, Hannah's blood. She uttered a soft moan. Her lips continued to move after all sound had died. All sound except Angelica's shrill chant. Simon! 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 Hannah died in Simon's arms, her head lying heavily against his shoulder, her soft blonde hair brushing his cheek, falling over his shoulder. Hannah dead. Julia dead. Angelica shrieked, her eyes shut tight, pulling frantically at her long black hair. Robert held his brothers, turning them away from the hideous scene before them. Mrs. Mackenzie sobbed against the wall, burying her face in her apron. I, I thought it was Lucy Good, Simon sputtered. Lucy Good resigned this afternoon, Mrs. Mackenzie replied through her sobs. She could not bear Miss Hannah's accusations. She packed her bag and departed. With a quiet shudder, Simon held his lifeless daughter. As he struggled to keep her on her feet, they appeared to be dancing, a strange, sad, awkward last dance. Hannah is gone, he realized. Julia is gone. The wonderful part of my life is over. Simon, 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 Angelica chanted. I tried to hide from it, Angelica, Simon sobbed. I tried to pretend it no longer existed, but the curse that follows the fear family has found us all today. Simon, 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 Angelica shrieked behind him. Simon, Simon, Simon. Simon feared knew that her cries would haunt him for the rest of his life. Part 3 Shadyside Village, 1900 Chapter 22 On a gloomy fall day, a young man stepped off the westbound train onto the narrow concrete platform of the Shadyside train station. He was a good-looking boy of 18, with slicked-down brown hair, lively brown eyes, and a friendly open face. He glanced quickly down the main street of the small town. Shadyside appeared to be prosperous and pleasant, with low brick buildings behind shady trees. Then he hailed a carriage with a cheerful cry, Cabby! Cabby! The driver, a shriveled old man with white whiskers and long white sideburns beneath a worn blue cap, stopped the horses and hopped down to help the young man with his suitcase. I can handle it, driver, the young man said, offering his friendly smile. I have but one bag, as you can see. And where do you come from? the cabbie asked, eyeing the boy suspiciously. Boston, was the reply. My name is Daniel, Daniel Fear, and I have come to visit my grandparents. The old driver's eyes narrowed in surprise. Daniel Fear, did you say? And you have come to visit Simon Fear and his wife? 
They are my grandparents. I have never met them, Daniel admitted. He hoisted his bag onto the luggage compartment at the back of the carriage. One of the two horses whinnied. The carriage rocked back and forth. My name is McGuire, the cabbie said, touching his cap. I have been driving this rig in Shadyside Village for a lot longer than you have been alive, son, and you are the first visitor I have ever taken to the Fear Mansion. Strange, Daniel replied uncertainly. Strange indeed, McGuire said, shaking his head. That house has been dark and closed up ever since the two daughters died. That was some thirty-five years ago, I believe. Simon's daughters, Daniel asked surprised. You mean that I had aunts? The cabbie nodded. Who might your father be, son? Joseph Fear, Daniel told him. Ah, yes, Joseph, McGuire said, removing his cap to scratch his head. I remember him well. Good-looking boy. I remember they sent him away to school a couple of years after the, uh, after the tragedy with the two girls. Joseph never returned home. Yes, we live in Boston now, Daniel said. None of us has ever been back to Shadyside. My father is a very quiet man, a private man. He never told us much about our family. I did not even know I had grandparents here, until word came about my grandfather's 75th birthday. So Simon fears to be 75, McGuire muttered, rubbing his chin. Yes, Daniel replied. My grandfather wrote a letter and asked to see me, so here I am. The old cabbie muttered something that Daniel couldn't hear. Then he turned and, with a loud groan, hoisted himself up to the driver's hoisted himself up to the driver's seat. Daniel watched McGuire take the reins, then climbed inside the small carriage, pulling the door closed beside him. Staring out the dusty window, Daniel watched the small town roll by. The town center with its offices and shops gave way to rows of small cottages, then farm fields, then tangled woods. The overcast sky made everything appear dark and unwelcoming. Suddenly, Daniel heard McGuire shout for the horses to woe, and the carriage bounced to an abrupt stop. Daniel peered out at a tall brass gate. The gate was tarnished. Here we are, son, McGuire called down. The Fear Mansion. Daniel opened the carriage door and leaned out. Can you not take me up the driveway? His question was greeted by a long silence. Finally, the old man called down gruffly. This is as far as I go. Few people would wish to come as near as this to Simon Fear's mansion. Daniel climbed down and removed his bag. He handed up two coins to the driver, who stared straight ahead, refusing to look at the mansion. Then with a curt, Good luck, son. McGuire whipped the horses and the carriage sped away. Daniel pushed open the heavy gate and stepped onto the long dirt driveway that led up to the house. Oh, the sight of the enormous mansion looming against a charcoal gray sky made Daniel stop and cry out. Tall weeds choked the lawn. Shrubs and hedges had grown wild. A fallen tree limb lay across a barren, neglected flower bed. The house, a ramshackle dark fortress, stretched behind a thick veil of bent trees. All of the windows were shuttered. No welcoming light greeted Daniel as he trudged up the driveway. No light escaped from the house at all. So this is where Father grew up, he thought in amazement. What a dreary, frightening old place. No wonder Father never talks about his childhood. Dead brown leaves rustled at Daniel's feet as he stepped up to the double front door and lifted the heavy brass knocker. He could hear the bang of the knocker echoing inside the house. He waited, listening. He knocked again. Finally, the heavy door creaked open. 
A stooped, white-haired old woman poked her head out and stared up at him suspiciously. She wore a stained white apron over a black dress. One of her eyes had glazed over. It was solid gray. The other eye squinted hard at him. Frowning, she muttered something that Daniel couldn't hear. I beg your pardon, he asked, leaning closer. Stay away, the old woman rasped. Stay away from here. Chapter 23 Startled, Daniel stared back at the old woman. I am Daniel Fear, he said finally. I believe my grandfather is expecting me. The old woman sighed but didn't reply. She squinted up at him for a long time with her one good eye. Then she beckoned him inside, gesturing with a bony, gnarled finger. I am Mrs. Mackenzie, the housekeeper, she told him, leaning on a white cane as she led him through a long, dark hallway. I am a housekeeper. Maid, valet, and butler, she added with some bitterness, the only servant who stayed. Daniel followed her in silence, carrying his bag. As they made their way through the narrow, dark hallways, he tried to peer into the rooms they passed. They all seemed to be dark and shuttered, the furniture covered with sheets. My father did not tell me the house was so large, Daniel said, his voice echoing in the empty hall. Your father got away, Mrs. Mackenzie answered mysteriously. They continued through the dark, gloomy house in silence. The only sounds Daniel heard were the scraping of his boots on the threadbare carpet and the tap-tap-tap of the old housekeeper's white cane as she walked. At the end of a twisting hallway, Daniel saw a flicker of orange light from a corner room. "'Your grandparents are in there,' Mrs. Mackenzie said softly, pointing. She turned, leaving him in the hall, and disappeared around a corner, her cane tapping his insistent rhythm. Is the old woman completely mad, Daniel wondered, or just unfriendly? He took a deep breath and reluctantly approached the doorway. He saw a lone fire cackling in a wide stone fireplace. Setting down his suitcase, Daniel stepped into the room. His grandmother caught his eye first. Angelica was stretched out on a purple velvet chase lounge beside the fire. She wore an elegant black dress with a white lace collar. She smiled at Daniel as he approached, but made no attempt to stand up. As she smiled, Daniel saw that her skin was delicate and translucent and tight against the bone, making her face resemble that of a grinning skull. Her hair fell loosely down her back. It was as white as snow. Grandmother Angelica, Daniel said with a slight bow. He reached for her hand, but she didn't offer it. Put another log on the fire, boy, Angelica ordered. I beg your pardon. Daniel had expected a warmer greeting from his grandmother. Do not dawdle. Do as I say, Angelica insisted coldly waving a slender white hand toward the fire. Another log on the fire, boy. Daniel hesitated, then hurried to the fireplace to do her bidding. He could find no logs in the wood basket, so he piled on several sticks of kindling. Then, wiping his hands, he turned back to his grandmother. I am so pleased to meet you, he said, smiling sincerely. You may go now, Angelica replied curtly. Before the startled Daniel could reply, she started to scream. Did you not hear me? Go, go. Go! Daniel gaped at her, trying to decide what to say or do. Pay no attention to her, a high-pitched voice wheezed from behind him. Daniel wheeled around and saw a nearly bald old man hunched over in a wooden wheelchair. He had a thin brown blanket tucked over his legs. His face was yellow and sickly in the flickering firelight. He stared at Daniel through square-shaped spectacles with his dark eyes, eyes like tiny black buttons. Grandfather, Daniel declared. Simon Fear wheeled himself closer, both hands pushing at the large wooden wheelchair wheels. 
pay no attention to Angelica. She is mad. Mad as a loon. He cackled as if he had made a joke. Daniel glanced back at Angelica, who lay staring at the fire. Grandfather Simon, I am pleased to meet you, Daniel said, turning back to the frail old man. Simon extended a slender, spotted hand to his grandson. Daniel reached down to shake hands. He almost cried out. Simon's hand was unearthly cold. Joseph's boy, Simon muttered, refusing to let go of Daniel's hand. Behind the eyeglasses, the tiny black sparrow eyes had locked on Daniel's face, as if trying to memorize every detail. Yes, yes, I see Joseph in you, he said, and then coughed for several seconds, allowing Daniel the opportunity to remove his hand from the icy grip. My father sends his love, Daniel said stiffly. Love? What is love? Angelica chimed in from behind him. What is love? I would really like to know. Joseph has no love for us, Simon said darkly, wiping saliva from his colorless lips with the back of his hand. I beg your pardon, Daniel exclaimed. My son Joseph abandoned us. I tried to make him understand that we fears have no choice but to stick together, to band together, to hide together against our enemies, but Joseph chose to disobey me. The light seemed to fade from Simon's eyes. He lowered his head. For a moment, Daniel thought that his grandfather had fallen asleep. Put another log on the fire, Angelica ordered impatiently. Another log, if you please. Why must it always be so cold in here? There do not seem to be any more logs, Daniel told his grandmother. An icy hand grabbed his wrist. Simon held him with surprising strength. I told you to ignore her, he snapped. Daniel tried to pull free. The cold from Simon's hand seemed to sweep right through Daniel's entire body. Grandfather, you cannot hide from your blood, Simon declared loudly, staring up at Daniel, tightening his cold grip on his grandson's wrist. I told Joseph that when he was just a boy. You cannot hide from your blood and your fate. Yes, grandfather, Daniel stammered, trying to be polite. His brothers Robert and Brandon stayed, Simon said, but now they're gone too. I never met my uncles, Daniel replied softly. Now you are here, Daniel, Simon said, smiling up at him, a frightening smile that sent shivers up Daniel's spine. Now you are here to carry on my work. Daniel swallowed hard. Your work? I came to celebrate your birthday, grandfather. I... Simon ignored him. He had both hands up behind his collar, struggling to remove something from around his neck. Finally, he succeeded. With another frightening smile, he tucked an object into Daniel's hand. Daniel took a step back toward the fireplace and examined his grandfather's gift. To his surprise, it was a piece of silver jewelry, disc-shaped. It was held by three silver claws, like bird's feet. On the disc were four blue jewels that sparkled brightly in the firelight. What a strange gift, Daniel thought. He turned the pendant over. On the back he found Latin words inscribed, Dominatio per malum. What do these words mean, grandfather? Daniel asked, studying the strange silver pendant. Power through evil, Simon bellowed. His loud cry caused him to cough and wheeze. Daniel studied the strange pendant, turning it over in his hands. Put it on, Simon instructed him. Wear it always. It has been in the Fear family since our days in the old country. Daniel obediently slipped the silver chain around his neck. He tucked the pendant under his dress shirt, and as the warm disc settled against his chest, he felt a surge of heat, and the entire room burst into flame. Chapter 24 Daniel saw flames before him, the bright image of flames leaping tall into a black sky, a momentary image, a vision, lasting a second or two. 
In the flames he saw a girl, a young girl, pretty and blonde, twisting in the fire, twisting in agony. The image disappeared. The girl in the flames vanished instantly. The pendant still felt warm against his chest. Simon smiled knowingly up at his grandson. The strange three-clawed pendant has powers, Daniel realized, feeling fear and curiosity at once. Daniel heard a tapping sound from behind him. He turned to see Mrs. Mackenzie enter the room, bent over her cane, an unpleasant frown on her withered face. I have come to take the young gentleman to his room, she announced coldly, glaring at Simon with her one good eye. Simon didn't reply. He nodded, his eyes closed. Put another log on the fire, boy, Angelica ordered. I'm cold, so cold. Mrs. Mackenzie grunted her disapproval of her mistress. Feeling awkward and confused, Daniel picked up his bag and followed the old housekeeper out of the room. Tapping her cane against the thin carpets, she led him through a twisting maze of dark halls, then up creaking stairs to a large bedroom on the second floor. Daniel followed her in. The room was cold. The small fire in the fireplace offered little heat. Mrs. Mackenzie made her way to the window and pulled the shutters open to allow some light in, but the windows were caked with soot. She offered Daniel a helpless shrug, then hurried from the room, her cane tapping in front of her. Daniel slumped onto the bed, shivering. Why have I come here? he asked himself out loud. Shaking his head unhappily, he removed his pocket watch and studied it. Hours to go before dinner, and Simon's birthday party is several weeks away. What will I do here? How will I spend the time? Staring into the small, useless fire, Daniel wished he had never come. Dinner was solitary and silent. Simon and Angelica were nowhere to be seen. Mrs. Mackenzie served Daniel his dinner at one end of the long dining room table. He had little appetite but forced himself to eat. The next day he made his way into town and strolled around Shadyside Village, delighted to be out of the stale air and glooming surroundings of the Fear Mansion. He found the town square pretty and pleasant. People smiled at him as he passed. Daniel was so good-looking and friendly, he often drew smiles from strangers. A crowd of villagers had gathered at the edge of the square to admire a shiny new motor car, one of the few horseless carriages that Daniel had seen in Boston. Eagerly, he strolled over to say it, a strange-looking four-wheeled contraption of glass and painted metal. A red-faced man in his shirt sleeves was straining hard, turning a metal crank at the front of the machine, trying to start it up. But in spite of the enthusiastic support of the crowd, the engine refused to sputter to life. Chuckling to himself, Daniel stepped away and realized he was quite thirsty, probably from the dust that floated up from Shadyside's unpaved streets. A small, white-fronted general store on the corner caught his eye, and he made his way toward it, thinking of a cold drink. As he pulled open the door, the aroma of fresh-brewed coffee greeted his nostrils. He closed the door behind him. Then, stepping past a large wooden pickle barrel and several burlap bags of flour and sugar, he stopped at the long wooden counter at the back of the store. A young woman dressed in a silky yellow high-collar blouse and a long maroon skirt had her back to him. She was reaching up to arrange canisters on a shelf on the wall. Daniel cleared his throat impatiently. She turned and smiled, surprised to see a stranger in the store, and Daniel fell in love. She is the most beautiful girl I have ever seen, Daniel thought, feeling dazed. She appeared to be about his age with long, dark hair that fell to her shoulders, creamy pale skin, and green eyes that gleamed in the light from the store window. Her smile, the most beautiful smile Daniel had ever seen, faded. Are you staring at me? she demanded. Her voice was lower, throatier than he had expected. Yes, he replied. He couldn't think of any other reply. Speechless, 
I'm speechless, he thought. Maybe coming here to Shadyside was not such a bad idea after all. He suddenly realized she was gazing at him with concern, her broad forehead wrinkling above the beautiful green eyes. He blinked, felt himself blushing. Are you feeling well? she asked, hanging back from the counter. I, I apologize. Daniel managed to stammer. I am thirsty, so... Would you like coffee? Or perhaps some apple cider? she suggested, her smile returning. It is very fresh. Daniel adjusted the starched collar of his shirt. It suddenly felt very tight. Yes, thank you. Cider would be wonderful. Well, it is good. I do not know if it is wonderful, she replied dryly. With a sweep of her long skirt, she made her way around the counter, carrying a tin cup toward the cider barrel across the aisle. She walked so gracefully, Daniel thought, following her with his eyes, like a poem. He suddenly wished he knew poetry. She handed him the cup filled with cider. He took a sip. Very good. He licked his lips. He raised his eyes to hers and realized that she was now staring at him. She glanced away shyly. Are you new in town? Daniel told her he was. Can you tell me of some interesting places I should see? She laughed. Interesting? In Shadyside? He laughed with her. He liked her sense of humor, and he liked the way her chin trembled when she laughed, and he liked her low, velvety voice. Surely there must be something worth seeing, he protested. She narrowed her green eyes as she thought. I am sorry. There really is not much of interest here, except perhaps the Fear Mansion. Her reply startled Daniel. He decided to play innocent. The Fear Mansion. What is so interesting about that? Her expression turned serious. She lowered her voice to a whisper. It is a very frightening place. Horrible stories are told about it. I really do not know if they are true or not. It is said that the fears live under a terrible curse, that the mansion is cursed too. It is said that everyone who enters... Every town has a house like that, Daniel scoffed, shaking his head. My grandfather's house certainly looks like a cursed place, Daniel thought. I wonder why the villagers tell such stories about it. I would not venture near it, even for sightseeing, the girl remarked with a frown. I will take your advice, Daniel told her. Would you care to show me around the rest of your town? She blushed. A coy smile played over her full lips. Why, sir, I do not even know your name. It is Daniel, he told her eagerly. He started to reveal his full name, but stopped. He realized he didn't want her to know yet that he was a fear. Daniel, I like that name, she replied, her eyes lighting up. I was once going to name my dog, Daniel. They both laughed. And may I ask your name, Daniel asked. Nora, she said, pale circles of pink forming on her cheeks. Nora Good. Chapter 25 Quick, someone's coming, Nora whispered. She grabbed Daniel's arm and pulled him off the road into the trees. Daniel laughed. It's just a rabbit. Look. He pointed to the large brown rabbit that scampered over the carpet of dry leaves at the edge of the woods. Nora laughed and pressed her forehead against the sleeve of Daniel's jacket. I love her laugh, he decided. I love everything about her. As they walked hand in hand toward the river, Daniel found it hard to believe that they had met just five days earlier. He had never felt this way about anyone. Each afternoon, he had waited around the corner from her father's store for her to finish work. Then, trying to make it appear that they weren't walking together, they would make their way up the broad park drive to the Kananoka River, which flowed through the woods north of the village. There they would sit side by side and hold hands under a shady tree. As the sun lowered itself behind the cliffs across the river, they talked quietly, getting to know each other, discussing whatever popped into their heads. Daniel had explained to Nora that he was visiting his grandparents 
but he still hadn't worked up the courage to tell her that his grandparents were Simon and Angelica Fear. Do your grandparents not wander where you go every afternoon? Nora asked. Her dark hair shimmered in the patches of sunlight that filtered down through the tree leaves. My grandparents show little desire for my company, Daniel told her. Most days they do not come out of their rooms. When I do see them, they ask me little. In fact, they hardly speak to me at all. How strange, Nora murmured thoughtfully. My grandmother lives in a world of her own, Daniel said sadly. I am not sure she even knows I am her grandson, and my grandfather. He spends his days in his wheelchair, by the fire, muttering dreamily to himself. You must be lonely, Nora remarked, squeezing his hand. Not when I see you, Daniel replied boldly. She smiled at him, her green eyes catching the light of the lowering sun. He realized that Nora must be lonely too. Her mother had died in childbirth. Nora was an only child. She spent her days working in her father's general store. She spent her evenings cooking and caring for her father. They lived in rooms above the store. My dream is to move away some day, she had revealed to Daniel, to a town with wide paved streets and buildings as tall as the trees, a town filled with people I don't know. As the red sun flattened against the dark cliffs above them, Daniel worked up his nerve, leaned forward, and kissed Nora. He expected her to resist, but when she returned the kiss with enthusiasm, he realized that perhaps she was as in love with him as he was with her. I have to reveal to her that I am a fear, he thought, wrapping his arms around her and kissing her again. But will she react with horror? Does she believe the frightening stories about my family? When she learns I am a fear, will it drive her away? The thought made him shudder. Daniel knew he couldn't bear to lose Nora. As they walked holding hands back to her father's store, Daniel decided he had to learn the truth. Before he revealed his identity to Nora, he had to find out if there really was a curse on his family, if the terrifying tales the villagers told about the fears were true. Once I know they are not true, once I know they are all silly fairy tales, then I will be able to tell Nora that I am a fear with a clear heart, he decided. He said good night at the edge of town, reluctant to let go of her soft, warm hand. Her eyes glowed happily as she whispered good night. Then she turned and ran to the store, her silky dark hair trailing gently behind her. Her heart fluttering, the taste of Daniel's lips still in hers. Nora brushed through the dark store, humming to herself. Thinking happily about Daniel, she started up the narrow stairs that led to the rooms she shared with her father. Nora gasped, startled to find her father waiting for her at the top of the stairs, an angry expression on his face. James Good, Nora's father, was a short, wiry man with shiny, slicked-down black hair and a black pencil mustache beneath his long, pointed nose. He was normally quiet and good-tempered, but when his anger got the better of him, he would explode with rage and lose control, so that he frightened Nora. Now she hesitated halfway up the stairs, staring up at his angry frown, his blazing eyes. Where have you been? he demanded, struggling to keep his voice low and steady. Just out for a walk, Nora told him blankly. He glared at her, his face set in an angry scowl. He motioned for her to come the rest of the way up the stairs. Then he followed her into the small sitting room. Just out for a walk with whom, he demanded, crossing his thin arms over the chest of his undershirt. With a friend, Nora replied uncomfortably. He is no friend. James Good said through clenched teeth, The boy you have been sneaking out with is no friend at all. He is a fear. Nora gasped. She dropped down onto the straight-backed wooden chair by the fireplace. He never told me, father. Of course he didn't, Mr. Good snapped. 
He knew that no decent girl would be seen walking with a fear in this town. But Papa, Nora's mind whirled in confusion. Why hadn't Daniel been honest with her? Was he afraid? Papa, Daniel is wonderful, she said finally. He is kind and gentle. He is intelligent and considerate, and— He is a fear, her father interrupted with a scowl. He stood over Nora, his hands tensed awkwardly at his sides. I will not have you seeing a fear. You know the history of that cursed family. Everyone in Shadyside knows. I don't care about that, Nora cried. They are just wild stories. Wild stories, James Good exclaimed. Wild stories. Why, Simon Fear's own daughters were murdered when they were about your age. Murdered. Papa, that was so long ago, Nora cried. No one knows what really happened. The two girls were found in the woods with their bones removed, James cried. They found only their skins. Their bones were gone. Gone! You know that's just an old story, Nora screamed. No one but silly grandchildren believes that, Father. Maybe not, but Simon's wife Angelica, she is mad, Nora. She practices evil magic. People have disappeared in the wood. People have disappeared in the woods behind the fear mansion. They were Angelica's human sacrifices. They... Papa, stop. These are all wild tales, gossip and rumors. You cannot believe such insane stories. James groaned in exasperation, running both hands back through his slicked-down hair, scowling at his daughter. I do believe them, he said, his voice trembling. I believe them all. This is why I cannot allow you to see that fear boy again, Nora. No, Nora shrieked, jumping to her feet, her eyes wild. I love Daniel, father. I love him. You cannot forbid me to see him. Nora, listen to me, James insisted, his pencil mustache twitching in anger, his slender face reddening. Listen to me. For your own good, you cannot see him again. I forbid it. No, Nora shrieked, her anger matching her father's. No, no, no. James Good's eyes narrowed angrily. His words came out slowly, deliberately, through clenched teeth. Then, Nora, you have given me no choice.